Hi, welcome to Promo Kitchen Podcast. This week, we're very excited to be talking with Ben Sledge from Aztec Specialties, a distributor in the Midwest. My name is Kate Plummer from Clearmount, and I'm here with my co-chair, Johanna Gottlieb from Axis Promotions. Over the past few weeks, we've been having conversations about diversity and what it means for our industry. And Ben made a comment on the PPP Facebook group about minority-owned businesses and helping out. And we said, let's chat. So Ben, welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you. Can you give us a little bit about yourself, who you are, how long you've been in the industry, and how you got here? Ben Sledge, been in the advertising special business since 1985 when I first started with a small business that I started running out of my home. And then I bought a business over in Lee Summit, Missouri back in the early 90s that had three ladies that were working there. And we ran that for about 12 years and they decided they all wanted to retire. So we closed it down. And then a couple of years ago, I started rethinking about doing it again and re-up with ASI and started an online store. And that's where I am again. And when I retired from a regular job, I've been doing this full time since then. So it's been quite a long time I've been involved in this ASI business and it's been good for me and it's been good for my family as well. I love that you call it, you retired from your regular job and now do this. Do you not see this as a regular job? Well, of course it is. (laughs) Where else can you search for a product on 30 or 2 o'clock in the morning and then you send out an instant message and you have a supplier that responds back to you at 1.48 a.m. So it's a business that never sleeps. And there are a few of us that take it very seriously about this and that we don't stop. And one of the things that I like and when I find suppliers that put customers first, I tend to do more business with them because they understand that the customer never sleeps and they always want things done. And I get calls on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays about stuff. And when I send off to a supplier, that person that responds to the guy or the person that I end up trying to work with because they work nonstop as well. Always trying to please the customer, get them what they want. So yeah, it's full time, but it's all the time. It never shuts down. It's just constant. As a fellow distributor, I have to agree. I know Kate is always working around the clock. There's so many different ways to communicate now with vendors, and especially because we're all working from home. I know I'm messaging my suppliers through Facebook, through Instagram to reply to ads. It's such a unique industry, and I always say it keeps me on my toes. Absolutely. So switching gear, let's talk about what's going on right now in America. It's been a really intense two weeks or so. What had the last two weeks been like for you? And what do you feel is different now than different movements? What's different now being a person that was born at the tail end of the civil rights movement down in the South from Georgia originally. I saw a lot of things and Dr. King and all the things move. But this movement today in the last two weeks has been a global movement. It's a world movement. And it brought to light to me just how this process is not just in America, it's happened all over the world. And to have this impact of people being asked to be aware or as the young kids say, stay woke to what's going on. And it's been an eye-opener for me to realize that from the late 60s and early 70s of the movement that went on and took place and these young kids now are taking it to the streets and they are really avid and 
really pushing to make sure this change takes place. And I think it's a good thing for the country. I think it's a good thing for people of color, all people of color, because, you know, racism is everywhere. And it's something that has to be dealt with. But bringing it to the forefront and having people stop and check themselves, do self-evaluations is what I think is the biggest impact this one's made. Back earlier, when it was happening, back during the days of the dogs and the water hoses and the bridge walkings and all the marches, no one had to do a self-check because it was a way of life. But now, people that are not of African-American descent or people of color are doing self-checks. And they're asking themselves, why didn't I say anything? Why have I not felt this? Why have I not seen this? Or why did I ignore this? So it's an awakening is what it is. And I think that it's great. And what really intrigued me about it most was watching it happen in Australia with the indigenous people of Australia who have been treated horribly for years. They not even were allowed to be citizens for a long time. And then you got the others all over. And you start seeing stuff in Denmark. You start seeing stuff in Germany. And I mean, this world is have people of color everywhere now. There's nowhere to go. You don't find people of color. And the biggest stuff that was going on in London, around there, they're talking about in the UK, of how some of the changes were taking place. So it's there. And I think it's at the forefront of everyone today. I think some things are at some times are a little strong. The looting, the stuff like that, I think is not appropriate. But for the peaceful demonstrations and for the messages that are being sent to get across, I think is necessary. And I think it's necessary to keep it in the forefront for everyone so that everyone is aware that this does happen. The biggest thing is for people to look up and say, I see that. I never thought about it, but I see it happening. And it's going to make a difference. It's going to make a huge difference in the U.S. and across the world. But I hope it makes a huge difference here and in the U.S. and very soon. I love that. I love the self-check. I haven't heard that. And I think that's something most people listening to this could resonate with. I know we have a large audience and, you know, I'm a Hispanic woman in this industry. I've always really been proud of where I come from. My mom was born in Cuba. My father was born in Argentina and I married an amazing Jewish man. So our children are Jubantinians. We live in this, you know, wonderful open community. And I am a person of minority and lately have been saying, why haven't I spoke up more? You know, and I'm stuttering saying it because it's it's hard to give yourself that self-check and say, I'm not going to shut up now. Now I'm talking and you're going to listen. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. I think it's amazing. I think we're doing the best we can to say the right things. Yes. Make sure we're being educated. I know through some conversations I've had this week, I've learned a lot of things. So it does feel different. I agree with you. And you've certainly experienced things that I have and have been around a little bit longer than I have and seen things in your life. But I definitely think the self-check-in is a really good way to put this. One of the things I love right now is how vocal people are getting. It used to be that you couldn't really say anything because you didn't want to alienate or stop people. But, you know, when babynames.com comes out with such an outstanding statement of like, they listed all the names of everyone and said, like, these were someone's babies. And then you know, you have fruit gushers and fruit by the foot posting things as well is that now to be on the side of right is it's almost like it's a political commercial movement too, which is, you know, when you get the brands on board is usually when you're going somewhere because people can see value. Exactly. In it. 
yeah, which is so shallow and awful sounding, but at the same time, it's like, it's cracked awareness. Yeah, it's real. It is absolutely, it is real. And it makes it real for everyone. Where before, it was just something that was talked about, well, it doesn't affect me, I just keep on walking. Well, if you are a person that has a biracial family mix, well, then, of course, you're going to feel some of the brunt of it, and you're going to understand it. I have some friends that are they're biracial couples, and one of them heads up an organization that lady does, his wife does here in Kansas City. And, you know, I help them out. I've delivered them some gloves and some other stuff when they couldn't get them because they help feed a lot of the elderly in the Kansas City metro area. And they supply toilet paper. They supply them with food. They supply them with the gloves and the mask and stuff like that. So I was delivering stuff to her. And the day after this stuff all happened, she just broke down. Absolutely broke down. She has two sons that are biracial and she's got a couple of daughters. And she goes, how do you handle it? And I said, it's an everyday occurrence for me. You just learn to deal with it. And there's some things you will take, some things you won't. I said, but this is stuff has been real for a long time. She and her husband have been married for probably 30 years. She says, I've felt it, but I never really felt it like this before. It was really interesting to hear her come out and she just lost it. And then we talked about it and she goes, thanks for taking the time to talk to me about it. He and I talked about it an hour or two later. He says, thanks for talking to her. And I said, no. I said, she wanted to talk. And I said, I just happened to be standing there when she wanted to talk. And we've been friends for 32 years. I said, so it was okay. But that's the stuff that's just happening. And I was one little kid here that he does some stuff for me on Etsy and some other things. And he's biracial. And this kid, he is absolutely in the forefront with the megaphones. And he is absolutely making himself heard about he needs to see the change. So it's uplifting. And I think that change is going to come. Yeah. I think it's all the work for everyone to kind of keep doing the work for this. So. One of the things that connected us was that you were talking about minority-owned businesses and what they mean and everything. And so do you mind giving the baseline of what a minority-owned business is and what it means? Because right now, so many people are searching, like you can see posts on CommonSkew, ASI, Facebook, Sage, and PPAI being like, do you have a list somewhere of MBE and MOB of minority-owned businesses? So can you give us the refresher course or the intro course of what this means. Sure. And I'll give you a little bit of history behind it. Minority business enterprises for years were neglected to do business, not just for African Americans or blacks, and it was for Latinos, it was for everyone that was of a minority descent. Back in the early 80s, an organization, the National Minority Supply Development Council, was formed out of New York. And we, at that time, started branching off and making different chapters. I lived in Columbia, South Carolina at the time. So I got involved in the Carolinas Association in Columbia, South Carolina, and ended up working with the chapter out of Charlotte. And in, in a few years after I left and came back to Kansas City, the two councils merged and became one, the Carolinas Minority Spot Development Council. So that's where it all started, trying to find a way to put a system to what the age-old flaw was, we can't find it. You know, it's always said we can't find it. And it's the same thing that you get here when people are saying for the ASI, and I ask the same question myself, where are the minority suppliers and who are they? There's always the who part that I want to know who they are. But it started back in the early 80s, and here in Kansas City, I think at one time, 
for the minority businesses around Kansas City. And we had an all CEO board that consisted of Henry Block, Don Hall, Burt Berkeley, Drew Jennings, Edward P. O'Neill, all of the high hitters in Kansas City, the big people in Kansas City, top CEOs from major corporations were on this board. And I was their advisor for minority business and how we moved this needle forward. And we became the model council for the country. And that was led by a friend of mine, Greg Baker. He and two other people led this whole organization. But as an advisor, I got to hear the conversations, hear the frustrations from the CEOs and understand their commitment and understand where it needs to take place. The MBE population, the minority-owned businesses, and you talk about the MBEs and the WBEs and MWBs, need to have a place to go. And this whole process needs to be, like everything else, it needs to be brought to the forefront and people understand it. And a lot of people take offense to these programs because they think they're like set-aside programs. They're programs to just do handouts. And that's not the case. Never has been. All this has done is trying to give these businesses a fair shake at trying to compete and do business with mainstream companies. If you look at promotional products on the Facebook site, there are people talking all the time, where is this, where is that, as you've seen. And a lot of the guys are selling direct to your end customers now. For the most part, people are asking, say, where is it and what can we find? And the biggest problem that we have now, there are not many minority suppliers in the U.S. because most of the stuff now that we source, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the stuff is sourced out of China. And there's not much minority manufacturing going on in the U.S. to become a supplier and not just a distributor. The room now is for distributors, and distributors will have an opportunity to grow their businesses and compete because this market is opening up to everyone. But that's been the biggest thing, is trying to find, have a place to go to, and like we did with the businesses in Kansas City, had a central point to go to, have a place to go. So you can find these suppliers and you can find these distributors that can provide your goods and services that you're looking for. And a lot of people still have requirements that they want to spend a certain amount of dollars with, with minority businesses. I'm sure right now that the African-American community is going to be looked at as forward ways, people trying to find ways to do more and to be better at what they do. And this is what we've got to do is find a way to streamline what it is that we have and to make it more accessible to people. And one of the biggest things is to really to make people understand that partnering with each other tends to help the situation a lot better. It helps the newbies coming in understand what the business is about and how it really works. And it gives them a chance to go out and do business. There are cases where you might get an order. Someone calls you say, well, we were looking for a minority business to do business and the guy wants to buy a million plastic bottles. Well, you got the funding issue. How's this guy going to fund a million plastic bottles at a dollar and a quarter piece? They're going to be coming out of China. You got to pay for them up front if you don't have some kind of account already. It's getting through those hurdles and understanding what we have to do to, to make sure those hurdles aren't in the front of these people to get it done. And I say these people, I'm talking about the new people coming in. Those of us that have been around understand 
what has to take place. And sometimes you have to partner with the people or negotiate with the suppliers and say, we will do this and we'll put this in escrow. It's stuff that you have to learn to do to make it better. And that's where we're headed. That was good. You're on a roll. I like it. So with that, there's just been so much information consumed over the last few days. Tell our listeners exactly what MBE means and MLB, or some people say MBO. Yeah. Are there any other acronyms we can address that will help educate some of us? Yes. MBE is Minority Business Enterprise. And Minority Business Enterprise can be anyone. It can be Native American. It can be Asian. It can be African American. It can be Latino, Hispanic, could be any nationality that's looked as not that's part of the mainstream of Caucasian business. Minority-owned business has the same pretty much classification, and the MWBE is a minority woman business enterprise, and that's what is used sometimes today. And there's a few of them on the ASI website or MWBEs. That's what they're used for to describe which type of a supplier that they are, which type of a business that it is. A lot of cases. It used to be where you had to be certified, to be certified as a minority business, which I think that's going by the wayside because people are to the point of where, why am I paying you 500 bucks and I get no business? One of the biggest drawbacks I had with it. But if I have my documents and it says that I'm 100% owner of my company, then I'm 100% certified myself a minority-owned business. So at the government agency, sometimes you have to use MBE, WBE certifications. And then there are places you can go do that. The National Minority Supply Development Council I talked about, they will certify you. And there's others over there. Some cities have their own certification process. Some counties do. But for the most part, if it's just regular business, you don't have to have it as much as you need. Well, we have it up in Canada. It's called CAMSAX, Canadian Aboriginal and Minority Supplier Certification. And you have to get certified for that. But it's also one of those things is that once you're certified, it brings you into this community. And I'm hearing all this, I'm giving full credit to Kathy Chang of Redwood Classics because she is CAMSEC certified. And for her, it's a matter of it brings you into community. It helps you with funding, just as you said, because a lot of times access to wealth is a difficult step for minority-owned businesses. And then as well, a lot of people don't realize but larger corporations have committed spend to spend on... Yes businesses like this. And so if you get certified, you can go in and have that spent on, there's money set aside. So you mentioned there's not a lot of minority-owned businesses in the US. When you have that committed spend, do you pass it on to minority-owned suppliers? How do you pass that on? There's spend here in the US, but it's not necessarily in the ASI business. There's a lot of spend in a lot of other businesses. Biggest minority business in, in, I think, in the country is H.C. Russell Construction Company out of Atlanta. They don't claim to be, but they are. So if there's money here that's being spent for minority businesses. I'm only talking about in the ASI side of it. And what you're talking about, I'd like to know more about your organization in Canada because in the U.S., there's never been a branch of the National Minority Supply Development Council that's ever worked on funding. It's never done that. It's never worked on helping people get funded to do jobs and to do other things. That has never been talked about. So I'd like to better understand what your program in Canada is so I can see if we can help develop that here. That I find interesting because organizations only work when they're able to provide a service. And so 
you're right, you know, you're not going to give your money if nothing comes out of it besides a piece of paper and no memberships and organizations. I cannot speak truly on CAMSEC besides what Kathy has taught me on it, just because I can't qualify for it. I am a white woman with a family owned business. So it's a white owned company. And so I can't speak on it besides the amount of education she's put into me at this point. But it brings in a community. And that's the point of organizations like this is that they need to give you tools to succeed. When you have an organization that highlights you and brings you up, that's what you want the purpose to be is access, essentially. Exactly. Very good. That's exactly what it needs to be. Yeah. So unfortunately, a lot of what you see, the stupidity out there of when you say people have been asking for minority-owned businesses is that people are kind of showing their, you know, bad word here. Um, They're showing their sort of talking about, oh, isn't that a form of racism in itself? I saw that post. I cracked up. (laughs) (laughs) I cracked up when I saw that one. I got like, whoa. Where's this guy been all his life? So, oh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is frustrating though. It's like you kind of see it, and you're just kind of like, "What the hell, man?" <laughs> I, I, I chuckled. I didn't reply to it. I didn't respond to it because I just said, "Where's this guy been all of his life?" Because I figured, "Whoa, okay," and I'll leave that one alone. I, I just chose to leave it alone. <laughs> Would you like to reply here? No, take your hand away from the computer. Don't, don't, don't do anything. You just, just put your hands in your pocket and do nothing. Just sit and do nothing. Go to the next. So, but no, I saw that. It's a fear of threatening the business that they've always enjoyed. And again, it goes back to what we talk about and it's been talked about for years about privilege and the things that others face that certain people never had to face. I saw a video the other day. This guy had all these kids line up on a line together, and he had a $100 bill. You guys might have seen this already. And he said, but if you've had a two-family household, you get to take two steps forward ahead of everyone else. And as he kept talking, be bringing things out, people kids started moving up. At the end, he got all these kids that were so close to him, and all the other kids that were most of them of color never got past the first two steps, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, now, take a look around. Look how much of an advantage you have over these kids back there behind you. And it's true. And that's what this guy was fearing when he put, that's what the only thing I thought of, he was fearing that because when he started saying, wouldn't that be racist? No, it's not. It's just leveling the playing field. It's not making everything. It's just leveling the playing field to make everyone have the same chance. And it was really funny. And I figured, well, that video... He needs to see the video soon to understand what it is. I think I actually sent him that video being like, "Mm, excuse me. (laughs) Because like the other thing that really frustrated me about the pushback was a lot of people were like, well, I have my suppliers and they've been really good. And I always choose the best option for my clients. And I think the pushback on that is there's nothing wrong with exploring options. And I know. And it kind of the unsaid thing about it is that minority owned businesses by like, it's that token opportunity when in fact, it's like, they might have the better price, they might be better service, they might rock your socks with better product. And to kind of say, well, I'm happy where I am is, it's so narrow minded in terms of everything. And like, I'm a made in Canada supplier. And 
I find that's a struggle to get people to think about us is like, if you want to buy made in USA, if you want to buy made in Canada, if you want to buy diverse products, you have to start supporting diverse suppliers. And yes. Yeah. So how do you push back on that? I'll thank them, but I'll tell you one day we're not on this podcast, but no, it's really, there's not a pushback. It's just, they're threatened by what it means and they need to be educated of what it means to do it and how they benefit from it as well. Early on, we talked about partnering. If they would understand what that meant sometimes and just embraced it versus fighting it, they'd all be a lot better off. And just like you said, some of these people, distributors, have better access to things than a lot of others. My background in supply chain for 26, 27 years allowed me to know how to search and to go find things where other people just go to one source. But I know how to do more than that. And I've been able to help some people by just said, no, we can get it from over here and not that supplier. We got this supplier. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's what I've been doing. Find the better source for the material for people. And as a distributor, but also working as an agent to help other people get what they need. So it's education. It's getting them to just put the walls down and just accept the fact that this is here. And let's try to embrace it and let's try to make it work together. It's as simple as that. It's just embrace it and quit fighting it. Absolutely. So taking a step back and looking at our industry as a whole, what sort of changes do you feel we can make in our industry to be more inclusive? Got to do more recruiting of getting people of color, of minority descent to be involved. Again, a lot of ASI people now, a lot, a majority of the minority businesses are Asian because of the Asian connection from all the products are coming from. You have a few African-American businesses, a few Hispanic businesses, but it's not that many and it's not promoted. It's never even talked about that something like this comes up. And this has been a major piece of it and it's coming up because people are going to know because they're going to get tasked on it in their job. They're going to say, you know, some big marketing firm, they're going to say, we use it as a minority distributor to buy some of this stuff from. Well, I've used my friend down the street, my girlfriend at the country club down the street. Well, okay. Who else are you going to use? They're going to be forced to make a change. And the realization is that some of us as minority individuals belong to country clubs as well. Had to, to be able to stay in the fight and to stay in the game, to be where the business was being done. I learned a long time ago. That's where the deals were done. Is that the clubs? Is that the dinner table? Is that the bar, which I don't drink? I let them drink all they want. They can talk all they want. So it's about just leveling the playing field. How can we work together to make this change happen? What actions do people need to take now? And the thing about this is that this isn't going to be over in a week. Equality won't be achieved in a week. So what would be the one thing you'd tell people to keep in mind over the next few months, years about how to keep change happening? Promote it. Start looking for ways for people to do business with. Have a program to set up so that you have to force your people to find minority sources to use to do business with. Not just suppliers, but distributors as well in this ASI business. It has to be top of mind. The first thought is, okay, if we've got a budget in XYZ Corporation for marketing and the budget is $2 million, and then that budget of the $2 million bucks, we got this set aside for promotional products, $500,000 for promotional products. Well, take 
25% of that and say, that's got to be designated. We got to find minority distributors and purchase from and teach them how we do things and what we want. But often the same as applies to other people are. Break it down. Force the issues to happen. Make it a conscious effort that they have to think about it and get it done. And until you do that, until it becomes part of their everyday responsibilities, it's never going to happen. It's going to die on a vine. But if you put it in their process for things that they have to do, the KPIs, the key performance indicators, if you put it in there for them to have to do it and at least search and find a way to get it done, and it's not going to be easy, but it can be done. That's when the changes start taking place. And then you won't have to put it there anymore because they're going to do it automatically. Once they get used to doing it, they will do it without having to think about it. They'll go like, oh, I've used John over here. I used Ben to do this last time. I'm sure she can probably do it again. So let's call them and see if they can get it done. That's what happens. You push it to get to the top of the mind, and then all of a sudden it becomes part of their everyday routine. And that's what things got to happen in this business. We've got to promote it. We've got to talk about it. We have to keep talking about it, let people know that it's there, list the suppliers, list the distributors so that people can have a way to go contact them and say, can you help me with this project? Versus for them having to search for it. Johanna, we talked about that earlier. There needs to be some place that they can go and pull these names. Make it easy for them to go find a distributor. Make it easier for them to go find a supplier so they don't have to search. They can just click on one link and go there and say, let me see if I can get this from this person here. Exactly. Love that. So I think, like you said, because these conversations are happening, I know personally, I feel there's hope for our industry. You know, I love the saying, think global, act local. There's only so much we can do globally, but the three of us on this call can continue to have these conversations and continue to push for resources. And I know I feel super committed to doing that in our industry and Kate as well. So Ben, you've given us a lot of information and some good insight today. Before we wrap this up, is there anything you want to share that we haven't covered or anything you want to let our audience know? I want the audience to know that this is really encouraging to know that Promo Kitchen has taken the time to bring us to the forefront and to talk about it when it's such a sensitive subject right now and you didn't shy away from it, you hit it head on. And thank you for allowing me to be able to talk about what I feel and what I've seen and what I've done. And it's most appreciated. And for the other people that are like me of the African-American or the minority business enterprises, to have you going to the forefront, to bring it to the top of mind, gives us another opportunity to get there and try to drive more business to take care of our families. So it's, it's really nice. I really do appreciate what you guys have done. Well, thank you. There's no need to thank us. One of our mandates at Promo Kitchen is education along with mentorship. And for us, this is such an important topic to be educated on. So we love that we have the opportunity to have these conversations and to educate our audience and have hard discussions. So thanks for recognizing that. And yeah, we're definitely not shying away from this. We're doing our self-check-ins, like you said. <laughs> do your self-checks. That's what you have to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I do want to add for anyone listening, this is being recorded today. It is June 10th. Did I get that right? I did. Yeah. It's June 10th. I think it's important just because there's so much going on right now. I want to make sure we all recognize we are doing this recording with Ben and Kate today, June 10th. So thank you, Ben. Thank you, Kate. And 
I'll talk to both of you soon. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.